You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Spencer Stringer. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Uh, This morning, we're going to start out our trek through the book of Romans. That's right, Romans. Such a great book has tremendous impact on how we understand our sin and the gospel of Jesus and then how we should live in light of that new life in Jesus. And so I'm excited that we're going to be in it for the next few weeks. Our focus this morning is going to be on chapters 1 through 3. As I was preparing, I just felt that I could not do these chapters justice by just focusing on one little passage. And so I realized they're all one thought and they're all connected. And so what I'd like for us to do is just run through each chapter to help us see overall what Paul is saying in the course of these three chapters. But before we do that, let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you specifically for the book of Romans. And I pray that as we jump into it this morning, Lord, our hearts would just resonate with it. They would just swell up with worship and honor and glory of what you've done. So Lord, um, move in us change us. Help us be different people than when we push play this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, before we jump into the book, I feel like I need to lay a little bit of a foundation. In the Bible, you will see three different types of worldviews being constantly addressed. The first one is guilt innocence, and it's law-oriented. And so there's been an offense. We've sinned against God. You are guilty. I was guilty. But through Christ, we've been forgiven and pardoned, and now we're innocent. And that's a a guilt-innocence worldview. The second one is an honor-shame worldview, or you could say honor and dishonor. So we should honor God, but instead we dishonor Him. But through Christ, we've been placed back into a position of honor, even though we were dishonoring God. So that's honor-shame. The third type is called fear-deliverance. We were living under the power of sin. We were in fear of death, but Christ has delivered us, and he set us free, and now he gives us life. And so those are the three worldviews that just permeate all of Scripture. Well, in the book of Romans, we usually talk about justification by faith, faith in Jesus, which is a reflection of us living in a guilt-innocence worldview. We value rules and laws and civil order. We like that cause and effect of there's a crime and then there's justice. And so in a lot of ways, that's also how we read the Bible. That's the lens through which we read it sometimes. And that's not necessarily bad that we do that. In fact, the Bible is written in ways that really make sense to the guilt-innocent mind. For example, sin demands punishment. Jesus received the verdict of death. He was punished and we weren't. Those all make sense to us who live in a guilt-innocent worldview. However, and this is one of the beautiful things about Scripture, is that it's not just written in a way where only one culture can understand it. Rather, it's written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that all cultures and all time might be able, with some tools, to understand it rightly. And so today, I want us to approach Romans 1 through 3 with a different set of lenses in our glasses. Rather, 
than only seeing the passages through our guilt-innocence lens. I want us to see it from an honor-shame lens. In fact, coupled together, we get an even more robust understanding of what Paul is communicating to us. In the East, shame, it's more public and communal. It's all about losing face in front of people. But here in the West, shame is individualized and private. For us, this manifests itself around our self-worth, how we find value as a person. We want to be known. We want to belong. And that's why all of us are on social media. And I often find myself checking to see if people like my, my post. And I'm looking for honor to find my worth. But when we think about Uh, But when we think we aren't valuable enough for people, that's when we begin to live in shame. Honor-shame cultures are all about relationships and how we value ourselves and how we value other people. So your value or your status within that relationship determines if you're a recipient of honor or a giver of honor. And there's this expectation that that's how relationships work. If you're the lower status person, you honor the higher status person. And this idea is scattered all throughout the Bible. One example would be that God the Father was constantly honoring the Son. He was placing value on the Son. If we honor the Son, we're also honoring the Father. In John 5, 23, it says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so honor is a major idea all throughout Scripture. But what about shame? And that's what I really want us to look at here in Romans 1 through 3. So if you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to build our our understanding of how we have brought shame instead of honor into our relationship with God. And then I want us to look at what God's done about it. And so let's start at Romans 1, 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and foolish, uh, and foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? And so what I, I, I want us to see there that is that what happened here is an honor-shame exchange between God and man. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, although they had all they needed to know there was a God, they did not acknowledge Him. Verse 20 says, They are without excuse. And that doesn't mean that they had everything they needed for salvation. This wasn't salvific because salvation only comes through knowing Jesus. But they can know that there is a Creator God. Even though they have this, verse 21 goes on to say that they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So when man refuses to honor God and instead live outside of what God intends, we're refusing God's authority, therefore dishonoring God. We don't believe that what he has for us is best. We see no value in it. So instead, we pull this relationship flop and we position ourselves 
at the top of the relationship and dishonor God. And that is what Paul is telling us is sin. We're bringing dishonor upon the one who deserves all the honor. And we're saying, no, I don't want to believe that you're king and in control. I don't want to honor you. I want to honor me. So God, according to who he is, righteous, he has to punish this unrighteousness. And so look at verse 24 with me as we move on. It says, therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they had exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, so God gave mankind over to the desires of their hearts. They were exchanging the joy of living a life that values and honors God to a life that values and honors themselves. But what we think is honoring ourselves is really just bringing dishonor upon us, bringing shame. And we're sinful, and we don't place honor on the one who deserves it. Moving on in 28 then, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to, their de- to a debased mind to, to do what ought not to be done. To do what ought not to be done. And so they did not acknowledge God, and so God gave them up to that debased mind. So we all know who deserves the honor and the praise and the glory. We have everything we need to know that God is supreme. But in our stubbornness, we won't acknowledge it because we want to keep doing what we want to do. Therefore, God punishes us in those shameful acts by letting us live in them, letting us run wild after everything our hearts desire. And at the very end of chapter 1, there's this list of all these shameful acts. But in verse 32, Paul tells us how, you know, this person, what kind of person they've become. And so look at verse 32 there at the end. It says, though they did not, though they Know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So they're not only doing it, but they look around and give approval for others doing it. And that's basically chapter one. Thanks, Paul. And we're just left with this understanding of exactly what we've done when we sin against God. We dishonor him and we've broken that relationship. And so now I want us to quickly move into chapter 2 because Paul continues the same thought as he had in chapter 1. And so read with me in 2, 6 through 11. He says, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and doing, uh, in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, and the Jew first, and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So when we seek to obey truth, when we walk in righteousness, when we value and honor God, it will go well. But when we are self-seeking and don't obey the truth, then there will be wrath and fury and distress. Okay? And basically Paul is saying there's two types of people in this world. That's it. Those that want to honor God and trust him that he's good and right and true, and then those that don't want to and then want to glory and honor all for themselves. And so I hope you feel the weight 
of what it means when we sin against God. It's not that we just break his law. It's more. We break the relationship and dishonor our creator. And I don't want to do that, and I don't want you to do that. But can we not all agree that if there is a creator God, then surely he has charge over all of his creation. And therefore, surely he's to be honored by that creation. You know, up to this point, these chapters have reminded me of the prodigal son. I just had it in my mind the whole time as I read those. And that's an honor-shame story. You have this son who in his sin takes his father's inheritance, the honor from his father. But he's reckless, the Bible says, and he squanders it. And his honor turns into dishonor. And so penniless, he finds himself now in this famine, in great need, and no one will help him. Meaning he's in utter shame. And I've always imagined him, just this picture in my mind of of him sitting in that pig pen, muddy, like totally dirty, starving, hungry. He's crying and he's completely broken over how he's ruined his relationship with his father. And he's just sitting, sitting in his shame. And it's just a sad mental picture. But it's the same picture I have of us after reading Romans 1 and 2. Sitting there in our shame, not knowing any better though. Sitting there in complete need. But in chapter 3, there's hope. Because Paul offers this good news of reconciliation. And so let's move on to chapter 3. For most of the chapter, Paul has been addressing the role of the law in people's lives. Ultimately, what he's explaining about the law and circumcision is that they, weren't, they were helpful, but they can't truly fix the heart's condition. Rather, Paul highlights faith in Christ as the only remedy for what our dishonor has caused. Okay, and so I want us to read Romans 3, 21 through 26. Okay, so turn with me in your Bible. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Okay, and so this was to show that God is the, the oh, 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Sorry, I almost missed that verse. So what it's saying is all of scripture was pointing to God, showing his righteousness in a better way than the law. The law was useful, yeah, but the law was never meant to reconcile the relationship between God and man. But through Christ, now God's, God's righteousness is on display. So through Christ, you can see it. And we all need Jesus because we have all fallen. But through faith, something happens here. Through faith in Jesus, something changes. So remember in verse 23 here, it says, All have uh, sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But look with me in verse 24. It says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Okay? So, first of all, grace is a gift. Why in the world would God do this? 
I mean, we've rebelled against him. We dishonored him. We wouldn't even acknowledge him. And we broke his law and we dishonored him. But in his kindness, he still gives us a gift? I mean, how is this even possible? In honor-shame cultures, when there's a relationship that's broken, there's typically a mediator who steps in between each party and then helps broker a reconciliation. In this case, what Paul is telling us, that is Christ. Jesus is our mediator. He's the gift. And the son who does honor the father, the good son, he's the gift of grace. And that good son steps into our place. He bears our shame and he was punished instead of you and me. And he does, undoes all of our shame. It's actually really great that God did this for another reason as well. Since sin first entered into the story, one could say that God had overlooked sins previously committed. And if Romans 6 is right, if the wages of sin is death, then why has God even spared mankind who's sinful? Why is he allowed to let, you know, why is he allowed sin to continue to go unpunished for so long? And it would seem that this king isn't really reigning in justice. It would seem as a judge, he's just blind. But listen to verse 25. It says, it was to show God's righteousness. Um, it was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. In verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so God had passed over previous sins, but that was all part of his plan because at the right time, he wanted to put his righteousness on display. He waited for the right time in history. And he did that by placing the full wrath of all of his hatred towards all of our shameful acts on Jesus as he hung on the cross. And so God is just in placing the punishment on Jesus. But he's also the justifier, meaning he, he gave us the one that was to be punished in our place. And so now think back to verse 24. We're justified by his grace as a gift. And Christ is truly a gift. We brought dishonor, but he brings honor through punishing the good son. God takes off our rags of shame and he clothes us in Christ's righteousness. And this is where that guilt-innocent worldview and that honor-shame world meet. They meet at the cross we broke God's law by dishonoring him. Christ bore the sentence of death to undo our shame and reconcile our relationship. And now we're be, being brought back as part of the family in right moral standing, being justified with God, now able to value and honor God all through the cross of Jesus. And we're called to believe it and to receive it in faith. Our shame can and will be gone, swallowed up in the work of Christ. And you now in Christ can live a life that honors God. Now think back to the rest of the story of the prodigal son. He's sitting there in his shame. That's where we left him, in serious need. But I want you to listen in Luke uh, chapter 15, what he says in Luke chapter 15. starting in verse um, 18, 15, 18. It says, I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, he's practicing what he's going to say. Um, he will say to him, 
Sorry, I lost my place. I am no longer, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of the hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And this is exactly what God our Father has done for you and I through faith in Christ. God has set it all right again through the cross of Jesus. He bore our shame and he bore our punishment and he undid all the dishonor that you and I brought into the relationship. Your shame has been wiped clean through Christ if you believe. Listen, listen to what I just said. Think of all the shameful and dishonorable things you've done against God. Think about it just for a second. I hear all the time, I can't, I've messed up so many times. There's no way God will ever accept me. I carry so much guilt and shame for what I've done. I hear it all the time. But listen to me, friends. Through what Jesus has done, he does accept you. He accepts you through Christ. All of those screw-ups, they're gone. All your guilt, it's gone. Your dishonor, it's gone. You have value in Christ. Now instead, he's our father and he's running toward you, ready to receive you and embrace you and bring you into the family. So you might at this point be thinking to yourself, I don't even know how to process what I've heard. Listen, whether you have put, yet to put your faith in Christ or perhaps you've been a Christian for 50 years, I think these passages here in Romans are calling us to do one thing, to believe it. And so let me ask you, are you living a life that's honoring God through belief in Christ? Are you? And I think there's two responses to that question. The first, of course, is yes. Yes, through Christ. I'm trying to live a life through grace that is honoring to God as my creator and my father and my king because I believe it. But there's a second response. And it is in line and continues of what that person in Romans 1 was talking about. Knowing about God, but unwilling to trust and follow him as your creator and your father and your king. So which one are you? Do you believe? It's almost embarrassing for me to ask because I know that I'm not always living a life in faith in all the areas of my life. I stumble as I'm trying to live a life that values God through his grace. And we'll talk about more about that next week. But nonetheless, what I'm saying to you now is come with me. Come along with me. 
as someone trying to live an honorable life in Christ, repent, turn to him in those areas you are not living by faith and believe that God is worth it and honor him with your life. And so I want to end by going back to what I read at the very beginning in Romans chapter 1. In Romans 16, oh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. That means all of us. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so friends, believe it. Believe it and live a life in faith. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that these beautiful words in Romans would not just sit idle in our hearts. God, move, bring birth in us to realize where we were, but through Christ, who we are. That, Lord, we no longer sit in our shame if we believe in Jesus and live in faith in him. We don't have to be like that prodigal son living in our muck and mire, our own mess. But, Jesus, you reach down, you pull us out, and you, you clean us, you bathe us, and you put on new clothes and you you put rings on our fingers and you sit us at your table there's no more shame in you so father help us help us to believe that so hard so hard not to believe that we have no value but jesus you were over and over are saying i died for you i value you i've made you i love you So, Father, help us to not sit in that shame as we cry out, we believe, but Lord, help our unbelief. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.